All right, good morning. Why don't you uh, pull out your sermon notes from a bulletin that you hopefully received on the way in. And um, don't raise your hand, but just uh, kind of give me nods of affirmation if you've heard this passage before. I'm going to read a passage that um, I have a hunch will be pretty familiar to you. It goes like this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Just kind of, have you heard that verse before? Have you heard that passage, many of you? Okay, sound kind of familiar? Okay, Ben's just like, Dave, I'm helping you out. Got your back. Thank you, Ben. Um, Here's what's interesting about the Bible, and we all do this. Um, how many of you, uh, how many of you happen to know without turning there? Many of you know where this passage is. How many of you know what precedes that verse? Like, if you could quote the two chapters before it, or not two chapters. You're like, I'm an all-star. It's me. Uh, two verses. I had just two verses. Let's let's take it down a notch. You know what? Here's the, here's the reality. We don't mention the two verses prior to that, which sets up really the context for what that's talking about. And I think here's why. Here's my tendency. Here's our tendency as, as churches and certainly Christians in America. Encouragement, united with Christ, comfort, love, fellowship, spirit, tenderness, compassion, joy, like-minded, same love, one in spirit and purpose. That's all really positive stuff, isn't it? We like that. We like soaking in that. We like memorizing it and thinking on it and quoting it. Uh, in just a second, we're going to get there, but I want you to turn to Philippians 1 right now. Don't peek. Don't peek at what's before it. But turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1. That was Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4 or so that I was just reading. Um, turn to Philippians 1. As you're turning there, let me just point this out. Uh, Jesus, uh, John chapter 8, verse 24 says this. He basically demands personal faith. It says, those who believe in me will, be, will, will, will live forevermore. And he's, he's demanding that we be born again. We started this whole series we've been in that we're, we're just about to wrap up with this notion that we must be born again. But life goes on, right? Life with Christ goes on from being born again and having some, um, you know, some experience or some commitment or some moment in time where you surrendered your life to Christ. Philippians 1, uh, verse 29 says this. It says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, you must be born again by belief, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Do you see why we don't start there in verse uh, 29 of chapter 1 and then go into the other? We don't like to read that part. That part doesn't sit quite as well with us as the encouragement, comfort, and like-mindedness of the other passage. Maybe with your finger in Philippians, flip all the way kind of to the beginning of your Bible and go to Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, what I want to do this morning is we kind of start off this idea of suffering and what that looks like and what it means in terms of following Christ. I've tried to paint a picture with this series and the different people who've spoken during this series to say, what is the normal Christian life? Not the abnormal that's really way out there and the exceptional, but what is kind of the, the, the normal Christian life that Christ calls followers, disciples, to do and be. And that's what we're trying to, to kind of ascertain and figure out and look at. 
And it's not maybe as complicated as we make it out to be sometimes. What are you doing? I'm waiting on God. Well, that sounds really spiritual. Good for you. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for him to discern his will. Wow, discern and will and waiting. That all sounds really spiritual. You must be really godly. How long have you been waiting? Like four years now. What are you doing in the meantime? Um, camping out. Getting really, really good at video games. I mean, like, you know, at some point you go, that sounds like a cop-out, doesn't it? Sounds like a spiritual cop-out to kind of wait for God's will, wait for God's will, wait for God's will. And there's so many places in the scriptures that we see uh, plenty of things laid out for us. The Great Commission is a great starting point. But what we're looking at is just saying, what's kind of the whole swath of things? One of the things is, uh, is suffering. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And here's an Old Testament example of the people of God chosen not because of their might or their strength or their incredible brilliance or good-looking nature, but because they were a nation that God chose and, and, and loved. We ought to identify with that. We ought to identify with the fact that God chose us to love us, to pursue us, such that our eyes are open and such that we're in relationship with Him. Now, here's an Old Testament example of not only being uh, in relationship with God, they're already in relationship with God in this covenant relationship, but life goes on. What's beyond that? What's beyond the wedding day? The wedding day is I do. Yes, we're in covenant relationship, but now how does it go on from there? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract to it, but keep the commands of the Lord, your God, that I gave you. That's just setting up the fact that there are things that are demanded of a disciple. In the same exact way, you would join a team and your coach would demand certain things. There are expectations. There are things that say, no, this is what a follower of Christ looks like. Jesus comes on the scene. He basically clarifies and qualifies um, for, for a new covenant people, the church, what that looks like to be in this covenant relationship with God. What are the commands? What are the decrees? He says this. Don't turn there, but just write it down. Maybe Luke 9.23. If anyone would come after me. Not if super Christians would come after me. Not if uber missionaries would come after me. But if anyone would come after me, here it is. Ready? He must deny himself. There's one. Take up his cross. How often? You know your Bibles. How often? Daily. Take up your cross daily. Not once a year on a Mexico missions trip, right? Not when you go to camp and serve uh, you know, kids. Not when you once in a great while feel moved and led by the Spirit and it's God's will that you once in a while take up your cross. Take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will, uh, for me will save it. Uh, as you look at your bulletin cover, and I'll put it on the screen here this morning, I think many people in the world, and most of us, if not all of us, I would venture to say all of us, before we met Christ, lived mostly by this motto, don't suffer. Try to get around it whatever you can. If it's uncomfortable, go the other way, right? Build walls and build things in your life, build boundaries in your life such that you live a fairly comfortable life as much as you can. Gain as much pleasure out of this life as you can. Now, you may not have walked around and said, that's my ideology, but think about how you lived your life before you became a Christian. It was probably something along those lines. And Jesus comes along and he really says, suffer well. He says, don't live a life to avoid suffering. 
The book of Ecclesiastes is all about this. Don't live your life to avoid frustration. You know what that does? It causes one massive frustration. So don't live your life to avoid frustrations. They're inevitable. Jesus comes along and says, I want you to suffer well. There's a way to suffer well and there's a way to suffer poorly. Don't live not to suffer, though. Let me tell you this morning a little bit of a unique nature of, of, of what I'm sharing. I am speaking this morning to the priesthood of believers. Now, that might be a really freaky term if this is your first time in church. Let me explain it a little bit. We are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And as disciples, it's not just that there's a handful of people who are in leadership visible positions that are called to shepherd people and serve people and minister to people. I used to go to a church and they had this idea, this catchphrase that they were trying to really get involved in the church, which was this, every member a minister. Every member a minister. And that's a biblical idea, is it not? It's the priesthood of all believers. It's not just that some arise and attain to it, and then they're the ones who are the professional people who are out serving and being uh, professional Christians, and the rest of us get to kind of coast and say, at least my pastor's doing something. We're the pastors. We're the shepherds. We're the ministers. We're the ones to be serving. So in a way this morning, let me just say this. Oftentimes in church, uh, we, we tend to, um, to build up the body, people who are already Christians, people who are already in the family of God, but also extend invitations and say, if you haven't made a commitment to Christ yet, if that's not where you're at yet, there's something for you. And, and, and here's some steps of faith. This morning's a little bit unique because here's what I'm saying. This is a little bit like pastor boot camp. This is a little bit like talking directly to ministers and saying, this is for you Christians already, and, and these are some encouragements. These are some hopefully reassuring words to you that what you're going through is normal. And if you're just sailing along and it's been years since you've had any troubles being a Christian, you're like, man, it's the greatest thing since life's bread. I've never had any issues. I hope to tip your boat over a little bit. I really do. I hope the scriptures will just awaken your eyes and go, maybe something's off kilter a little bit. Um, there's a lot of misunderstanding about suffering, isn't there? A lot of misunderstanding. I have a ton of misunderstanding about suffering. So I'm, I'm saying that up front. I'm not the expert on suffering, and I don't have all knowledge on it. Here's part of why there's a lot of misunderstanding about suffering. Because we collectively suffer from a lack of. Okay, We suffer from a lack of understanding. We suffer from a lack of experience. We suffer from a lack of objectivity when it comes to suffering, and we suffer from a lack of perspective when it comes to suffering. We view our life a little bit like this, tunnel vision, and it's hard for us sometimes to pull out and see the big picture, what God might be doing in our suffering and in our pain. We're able to be really theological and, um, and maybe even joyful about other people's suffering, aren't we? But then a bomb goes off in our own living room, and all of a sudden, it gets really, really personal. And all of a sudden, we're really struggling to see how God might be in this. So we all suffer. There's a, there's a misunderstanding. We're not alone. This is, this is biblical. Um, what, what this morning is not about is seeking out what some have termed the problem of evil. Okay? We're not going to go down big philosophical kinds of, of roads with that. That's for, for another time. I think the Bible speaks to a lot of that, um, but we're not going to go there. It's also not going to necessarily go into explaining nuances. Remember the story where Jesus is there and someone comes and says, I have a question for you, teacher. Um, whose sin was it that caused this person to be born blind? Was it their sin? Was it their parents' sin? Who's to blame for this? Do you guys remember Jesus' answer to that? Call it out if you remember it. Essentially, it was... Yeah, that's right. 
Essentially, his answer was this. This was done so that God would be glorified. That's why. And so we're not going to go into the same questions that people have brought to Jesus since the dawn of time, which is, hey, whose fault is it? And and what about this situation? What about that? We're not going to dive into all of that. There's some messages on on our website that have dealt with that. Um, As you kind of go on there, you can kind kind of search them out. Here's our focus this morning, okay? In the short time that we have, our focus about suffering is this. Expect suffering and endure suffering. Two things, really simple. Expect suffering and endure suffering. This is a picture of my best man from my wedding. His name's John Taylor. And um, I wrote him, this is his Facebook uh, little picture, so it's really fuzzy and lousy. But I wrote him, I said, hey, John, I want to use your picture um, in a slide uh, this, you know, this coming week. And it's, you know, it's got his wife's stomach in it. So I thought it'd be good to, like, check in. Um, and he never wrote me back. So I decided, you know what, if it's on Facebook... It's, it's public property. So then I just said, dude, at least get me a higher res photo. He never did. So here's a lousy photo of one of my closest friends in the world. Thanks, John. Um, expectations. As a believer, if you were sold the lie that once you become a Christian, your battles are over, you were lied to. You were lied to. You were sold a complete lie if you were told that. As a believer, it's just that your battles change, Right? Many of you can attest to this. You had battles and struggles and frustrations going into being a Christian. We just sang a song that said, love is near and it satisfies. Does it satisfy? Absolutely. Do your frustrations go away? No. Battles go away? Uh Uh-uh. Enemies go away? No. They just change. They're just different now. So battles remain. It just kind of changes the focus. Uh, Jesus tells us in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you may... Um, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You know what the context was? Jesus was saying, I'm going away. You're going to grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. So Jesus is prepping his disciples. He preps us that we will have troubles. Second Timothy 3.12. Is it getting darker in here? Okay, I'm just, I'm feeling like I'm getting sleepy or something. Um, 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, what's the word, anyone know? Persecuted. Yikes! That ought to wake us up and be kind of scary a little bit in the flesh. We ought to just say, persecuted? I mean, I can see, you know, in fact, everyone wants to live a godly life, it'll be kind of difficult. We like that, we can live with that. But persecuted sounds far more scary. That's what the Bible says. Part of your being on the Great Commission and sharing Jesus with other people is not perpetuating a lie that maybe you received. Hey, become a Christian, and, and life's a bed of roses after that. It's really preaching the whole gospel. It's really opening your life up and saying, hey, come be a Christian and die to yourself. Take up your cross every single day. Lose your life for the sake of Christ. They're like, huh? And you'll find it. And your grief will turn to joy. And you'll never, ever regret a day of following Jesus Christ. But that's the whole gospel, is it not? To to prep people for the battles, prep people for the troubles that are coming. Live not for this life, but for the next. Remember those candy uh, now and laters? Remember those? Anyone? Yeah. Old school candy. Thank you. Once again, I just need some feedback. Are you there? Um, So now and laters. Uh, I kind of thought about this. You know, you you can live for now, you can live for later, right? You can suffer now... You can suffer later. Here's what suffering now is described as in the Bible. As you start to get to know your Bible, you start to read things like this, that the suffering we're going through now is momentary. It's really regarded as light affliction. 
kind of kind of light and, and fluffy. In fact, Paul gives this um, this picture of a of a woman in labor. Now, don't man, I just recommend this. If your wife's pregnant, will be pregnant, or uh, has been pregnant, um, I don't necessarily recommend really quoting this scripture. Hey, babe, I've got a little devotional for you. Um, you know, now Paul says this. This is momentary and light. You're, this is a breeze. You're going to have joy soon. Sometimes that doesn't work so well kind of in the heat of the moment, right? That's not the most sensitive thing that you could say in that moment. But isn't it true? I mean, the fact remains that that really is light and momentary pain for the joy that you get with this child being placed in your arm. Some of you have heard me say this. I've, given, I've been given permission from my wife. But um, I think our very first child, when, when Kern was being born, she looked at me, and I knew we both wanted a big family. She looked at me in utter pain and agony, uh, and I was just reading the newspaper. No, I'm kidding. Um, I was sitting there, and uh, everyone under 16 is like, a newspaper, what's that? Um, I was sitting there next to her, and she looks at me, and she's got like the, you know, the death grip, you know, and I'm trying to be strong and pretend it doesn't hurt, and I'm looking at her, and she goes, um, she goes, we're never having any more kids. <laughs> and the right answer always is, yes, dear. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And the second that Curran was placed into her arms, she looks at me and she says, we're having 10 more. (laughs) Repeat the same phrase from before. Yes, dear, you are right in this. You know what that is? That's momentary light affliction and going, man, it's so worth it. As utterly painful as it was, and as much as I just wanted to not be there, it was just worth it. And that's what our now suffering is, is described to us as. Not seem trippy. Right now, some of you are in places where you go, this couldn't possibly be considered light and momentary. But here's the, here's the thought that I want you um, to think about. If right now is light and, and, and momentary pain, by the way, uh, one of your community group uh, questions or kind of assignments is to go on to persecutedchurch.com this afternoon, sometime during this week. Start finding some real specific people. They have this scrolling thing on the front of their homepage that talks about real people today. An Indian pastor gets his hand cut off for sharing something. Uh, this person over here is scalded and burned. 13-year-old girl for, for being a Christian, tortured by her own family. And it will just scroll real-life things of people who are being persecuted, tortured for the sake of Christ. And you look at that and go, really, that, that's momentary and that's light and that's to, to not be considered necessarily worthwhile worrying about? If this is light and momentary, no matter what the worst thing you're going through right now as a Christian being persecuted, imagine what hell is to be like if that's the comparison. If this is light and momentary, then that means the worst we could dream up of being tortured and persecuted as a Christian is regarded as light and momentary. Take a scale, Right? And you just, you just put what we're going on here. It doesn't budge the scale. You've got a one-ton weight over here, and you're dropping feathers on here. Pebbles, little pieces of gravel, an M&M. And you're like, nope, it's not budging it. Right now is light and moment, momentary. What's later going to be like? Live for later, but suffer now. That's the idea. And that's what Jesus is telling to us. Don't bail when it gets difficult. He's telling his disciples, it's going to get really difficult. What did his disciples do when soldiers came and it got really difficult? What happened initially? (laughs) Exit stage right, right? And then along comes uh, this transformation in their life. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the world has never been the same since. They literally turned the world upside down. So, expect it, but also endure it. Don't be discouraged by suffering. Rather, take heart for it. 
uh, John Garza right now. I took his spot because it felt like a little, little empty over here. The Garza family's gone. He is right now uh, on leg two of a 200-mile ride from Seattle to Portland. He's raising money for leukemia. And he texted me yesterday saying, hey, leg, leg one is done, and, and we're ready to roll for, for leg two. You know what John planned on the, these last two days? Suffering. He just did. You know what? You know how he planned for it? He went out and suffered. He went out and he rode hills. All the time, John pops in a sweaty mess into my office, and I love seeing him. And I, instead of a hug at that point, I just go, hey, buddy, like that. But I kind of keep my distance. But we chat about things, and we just go, how are you doing? I'm like, hey, where are you riding today? And this and that. You know what he's doing? He's suffering in preparation for this mega suffering coming. And so he knew the last two days weren't going to be some picnic up in Seattle. He's not riding his bike going, ow, it kind of hurts on my rear end. I'm kind of thirsty. I'm all sweaty and gross. What's the deal? He didn't look around shocked by that. He's planning for it, right? If we go in with expectations set appropriately, when it comes and smacks us in the face, we're prepped for it in a different way than if we're shocked by it. Let me give you three just kind of encouragements to endure the battle. First one, look at Philippians. If you're back in Philippians now, Philippians 1.28 says this. Actually, let me start in 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That means there's a, there's a manner to have your conduct that would bring down the gospel of Christ, and there's a manner that's worthy of the gospel. It's a great thing to pray and say, God, I want to live my life in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come to... Then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. You know what your enduring and suffering provides? It, in essence, provides proof of your salvation. Suffering for Christ is a way of, of realizing, man, I'm, I'm being saved by this. Now, I'm not saved because I'm suffering. I'm not teaching that, and you guys know that. You're saved only by the finished work of Christ on the cross. There's nothing we can do to add to that. We can't get a better place in heaven. We can't get somehow more saved because we suffer more or any of that. But what I'm saying is it's a great little indicator that you're on the right road. Sometimes you're traveling along and someone says, you're going to pass a giant rock and then you're going to take the next exit. And you've been driving along. You're like, have I passed the rock yet? I don't even know. I think I've gone too far. And then a giant rock looms. You know what makes you feel? I'm on the right track. The exit must be ahead. I need to just keep on going. When you suffer for Christ's sake, that's a marker that says, yeah, you're on the right track. Keep on going. Now, is all suffering proof of your salvation? Absolutely not. Um, this guy right here, I, I didn't even realize, I've had this picture for years, and it's just kind of a cool picture. Uh, I don't recommend it, but it looks cool. Um, but he's sticking, um, he's actually sticking little crosses in his head. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure where I even got this picture, to be totally honest, but he's sticking little pins in his head, right? And they're little crosses. I don't think this is what Jesus meant by take up your cross daily. You know, like, I've been alive, let's see, how many days? Um, but he's sticking these things in his head, okay? Um, kind of an interesting thought that it was, crosses and not not just pins here's what some suffering is some suffering is sin when you sin and you suffer for it that's not proof that you're saved okay that's just the the basic laws of the universe that god seemed to deem fit for us sometimes it's your own stupidity okay now god spared me by his grace from getting really physically injured um mostly through my late teens and early 20s 
when I seemed to have a real big appetite to do things that really thrilled me that didn't involve seatbelts and roller coasters and safety precautions. Um, God spared me from, from a lot of things that could have been really dumb. I could be, um, I could be a paraplegic right now. And it would have honestly just been my own stupidity thinking that I could pull this thing off when I really shouldn't have been trying it. Sometimes um, your suffering is your own self-centeredness. Now, here's what's interesting. Sometimes it's your sin and your stupidity and your self-centeredness. Sometimes in the sinful fallen world that we live in, it's other people's sin and other people's stupidity and other people's self-centeredness that has been wronged against you. And you're suffering for it. When a drunk driver is driving home and smashes into a car with a mom and two kids and they all are paralyzed, that's someone else's stupidity, self-centeredness, and sin being perpetrated against them. So not all suffering is the same. Suffering like Christ means this. Suffering without sin on your part so far as it depends on you, and for His glory. We're going to kind of unpack this a little bit. But Paul says in Philippians 3.10, he calls this the fellowship of his suffering. And there's a, there's, a kind of, there's a kind of bonding. And what it looks like to put on Christ is to put on suffering in the way that Christ suffered. Consider your pain is what I'm challenging you to do. Don't take all pain the same. Don't take things that come to you and just put them in one category of whatever your default thing kind of goes to. It might be testing. It might be discipline. It might be just normal, like, gospel pain. You're living in a life worthy of the manner of the gospel of Christ. There's pain that accompanies that. Jesus says they hated me. They're going to hate followers of me. So check it out. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.25. You don't have to turn back there, but this is where we started. And it says this, after you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time. He's kind of looking into the future and saying, God's giving you this inheritance, this land. You shouldn't be able to go in and dispossess this land and get this inheritance. But God's going to give it to you supernaturally. And it's going to be a pretty fantastic thing that's going to go on. Now, after you've lived there, settled in the land long, and you're living kind of, kind of large, and you're pretty comfortable... You know what that sounds like? It sounds like many of us in America, right? Food's pretty plentiful. We have uh, relative safety and security. We have really, really good uh, medicine for when we're sick, uh, painkillers for when we hurt. Catch this. He says, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol doing evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So there's an if clause there, right? If these things happen, I'm calling heaven and earth as witnesses against you that this is going to happen. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone which cannot see or hear, or eat, or smell. Many of you know your Old Testament well enough to know this cycle of sin, grace, redemption, repentance, sin again. And we see this over and over in Old Testament. These are exactly the kinds of things that went on. Verse 29 is so like a sunlight breaking through a cloudy day. It says this, But if 
from there, from where? From this misery sin that you've gotten yourself into. If from there you seek the Lord your God, you will with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that encouraging? In your sin, if you look for the God, uh, if you seek after God, and if you do it with all of your heart and with all of your soul, you will find Him. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey Him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which He confirmed to them by oath. What Moses was doing this day was he was putting before the people a blessing and a curse. And he was pleading with the people and he said to, he said to them, I choose, I choose life, not death. Choose the blessing. Don't choose the curse. My question to you is this. I want you to think about your pain right now. I want to think about your suffering right now. What's the number one thing that you would say, God, please remove this. It's like a thorn in my flesh. Do something about this. Is the pain in your life from serving dead, false gods who can't hear, who can't smell, who can't see, and who can't respond, and they certainly can't save you? Gods in our culture look different than carven images in another culture, but we have them nonetheless, and they're dead. If that's you, here's here's my words to you. Repent, flee, confess it, renounce that way of living, and choose life. Go and seek God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. He will be found. We have that promise. But turn from it. Confess it. Renounce that way of living and don't go back to it. It's bondage. Scenario two is the suffering that you are enduring, the discipline of a loving father in your life seeking a wake-up call for you. If so... Here's the words. Wake up. Wake up. Listen to what the Father says to you. Discipline, it says elsewhere, proves sonship. It proves that you're a child of God, a son or daughter of God, if you're being disciplined and reproved by the Lord. As lousy of a parent as you might be, and there's, there's good parents and bad parents, most parents I've ever met are trying to do their absolute best for their kids because they love them. Some have been equipped better, some have been equipped worse. But the, but the worst of parents, even those who are so permissive that they're, in essence, ruining their kid's life by trying to give them everything they want, even the worst of parents in that sense reproves their kids at times, disciplines their kids at times. Maybe even if they do it a lot of times out of anger and as punishment, there are nuggets of time where they're doing it, they're doing it to say, man, I want to save you from later pain. I want to really, in essence, save your life. I want to think 10 years down the road about you rather than right now in the moment. So I'm going to discipline you. God disciplines us. Maybe that's what the pain in your life is all about. I want to just uh, share with you an email. I asked this, uh, this person's permission, but I got an email from, from a person this week. And uh, this, this, this person writes this. On, on 85, this is part of it, an email that he, that he sent me. It says, on 85 South, I was really in the flesh because the whole scenario had such bad timing and just seemed arbitrary. He was kind of explaining some bad things that had gone on. I even considered the possibility that it was God's judgment on me for slipping up in another issue earlier that week. You ever play that game with yourself? My thoughts were going so far south, I decided I'd I'd better start praying before anger consumed me. 
So I started praying for people that were on my heart. And then finally, for me. As I prayed, I realized God wasn't judging me, but was actually working on me the whole time. And I'm growing into a person of Christ. I need to stop lashing out to God in my heart every time things go wrong. I have to be more patient and long-suffering in stupid inconveniences that pop up. You know what I love? As I read this email, it just reminded me of this passage that says, you don't have need of anyone to teach you anything. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a relationship with Christ. You have the Bible. Start figuring life out. God, He's going to show you things. He's going to teach you things. And I had a conversation with this person about this. And I just told him, I said, man, it was so encouraging to hear you preaching to yourself. You were just teaching yourself, basically. You were reminding yourself, why am I lashing out at God every time something bad happens to me? Why do I freak out about really pretty small inconveniences? I want to grow. I want to press on. I want to be in it for the long haul. Here's a second encouragement for you if you're in pain and suffering. Suffering is a privilege. Now, this is an interesting idea, and I know it's challenging for us, but verse 29 says this, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. We're to always ask God for everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Do you ever ask God for things um, and, and in the end pro- of the process thank Him for the pain in your life? Thank Him for the discipline that's going on in your life. Thank Him for frustrating plans that you've made that clearly weren't His will. Thanking God for pain, thanking God for reproof and suffering is a real challenge. You know what's hard? It's hard to do that when someone you know and see and can touch comes and reproves you of something and and challenges you on something. It's hard to have a gracious, humble spirit and receive that. All through the Proverbs, we're reminded of how wise a person is if they can take rebuke like that and receive words like that how many of us thank god when something's going on because it's driven us to a place of spiritual desperation and driven us to a place where we we have to have god in our life Uh, paul tells us that this conflict that we experience this suffering that we experience this persecution that is is around us is granted it's a gift Now, we suffer for his sake. Again, not all pain is the same, right? Um, One of the words uh, that's used in a lot of older writers um, that I I, I like to read sometimes is the word humiliation. And uh, Richard Baxter, I have this uh, this one book on tape, and it's a Richard Baxter book, and he wrote around the 1600s. And so the guy guy reading it clearly isn't Richard Baxter because he's been dead for a long time. But he's this British guy, and he says, Pastors, suffer humiliation. And he goes on, and it's just a cool word, and I like it. Um, but at Starbucks this week, I suffered some humiliation. Uh, I was there. I was before a meeting. I was kind of taking some time before a, a meeting, and, um, and I've been working away. And I basically work until my laptop got dead on battery, and so, um, so I closed up shop, and I was about ready to go over and meet this guy. Um, and so I had to use the bathroom before, uh, before I left. So I went in and locked the door and, and was um, accomplishing the purposes that a bathroom provides, and, um, and I heard this, like that hard and loud. And I was like, whoa. And then like, uh, you know, and then, then like the, the rattle of the door. And I'm like, come on, lock, hold. And it did. So, um, so then like literally like 59, like 30 seconds later, I'm like, man. And so I, uh, I was like, you know, occupado, you know, like 
go away, leave me alone. And so I just thought this person had to go really bad or whatever. And the next thing I know, I mean, literally like, uh, you know, 15 seconds later, the door's opening up. Now, um, let me just put it this way. I was just in a seated position, and, uh, and I looked out, and it just so happens that this particular door opens where everyone waits for their coffee. So, um, so, so I just started to sing. I thought that they wanted to shoot. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't sing. Um, they closed the door very quickly, and then you have to plan your escape. Like, there's no other real way to go out, right? And so, um, so I washed and left, and I just... Uh, I just took a bow, and no, I just kind of slipped out of Starbucks, and I thought, that's mildly humiliating. Now, here's the thing. Suffering that kind of humiliation is, is one thing, right? That's just kind of, I don't know what that is, but that's just kind of the fallen world we live in, and that just happens. That stuff just happens, right? Let me paint a picture for you of what this would look like if you were doing it for Christ. Let's say, let's just turn the tables for a second. Let's say that I was an employee at Starbucks, and I was in there doing my business, and they came and did that. The other employees came and did that and unlocked the door and opened the door and said, Jesus freak or church boy or whatever else. And kind of threw some comment at me like, oh, let's see what the Christian's going to do now. And kind of like to try to poke fun in that way. All of a sudden, do you see all of a sudden that suffering, the door would close and I would get a little wry smile on my face. Not because I enjoy having people open the door in Starbucks when I'm going to the bathroom, but I would realize, man, this is the fellowship of suffering with Christ. I'm being, I'm being the butt of a joke right now because of Christ. And all of a sudden, it, it kind of redeems that moment. And I would have walked out there and I would have just said, you know, praise Jesus. I don't know what I would have said, but it would have had a different kind of a connotation as to what it was. That was just what it was, right? But suffering for Christ. And some of you have experienced that. You've experienced name calling because you're just kind of a person that should be called names. Or you can, or you can be, yeah, you got that. Or you can experience name calling because you're a Christian. And because you're fighting for justice. Because you're standing up for those who everyone else is picking on and no one's saying the right thing to do. And so you become the target of other people. All of a sudden, that starts to look like suffering for Jesus. Uh, if we suffer for ourselves, it really would be no privilege at all. It would just be a big bummer, right? But if we're suffering for the cause of Christ, and because we're walking in a manner and striving in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it all of a sudden becomes something that's good. Listen to 2 Timothy 1. This is your memory verse this week. And his appeal at the end, it says, Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Here's what he says. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline, so that we do not need to be ashamed um, to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We have been given this idea to join in this process. Uh, just in the last month, I, could, I, I just thought of a couple of ideas of how this looks like. One person in our church was up at a train station, and, um, and he had a father of two in his face, like this far away, yelling at him, screaming at him, saying nasty things about him, this far away. You know what this person in our church's offense was? He had his Bible open, and he was reading Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in a public place. And I was talking with this guy the day after it happened. He, he called, he called, he let me know what happened. And, and there was a part of me that just said, man, praise God, brother. That's awesome. That's awesome that you went through that. And I said, I said you know, when someone's screaming at you this close and you're just trying to, to read God's word, what would you do? 
And he just said, you know what? The Holy Spirit really filled me. I mean, there's, there's a part of him in the flesh. He's a, he's a big enough guy, you know. The flesh wants to do something a little different than what, than what the Spirit calls us to do. But you know what? He didn't go in going shocked that people weren't just gathered around going, yeah, preach it, writing Jesus banners to hold. He didn't expect that. He really didn't. He went with the expectation. He's done this before. He knows, he knows the drill. So he went up and just, and just tried, to, tried to just lovingly, humbly, and peacefully um, proclaim God's word in that situation. I talked to another uh, person in our church this week, uh, maybe last week. Um, some property was stolen of theirs. Personal property was stolen of theirs. And it was in the context of trying to live a life worthy of the manner of the gospel. And it was just kind of cool because you can have property stolen from you and have it just be the fallen world that we live in, right? Or you can do it under the guise of, hey, this person's a Christian. Let's take advantage of this person and have it stolen. And not that you get a joy out of that, like, yippee, my stuff's stolen. But all of a sudden it puts this little label on it, like says, you know what? I was out here living a life worthy of the man of the gospel and my stuff got ripped off because I'm a Christian, because of what I'm doing, because of the cause I'm trying to advance. And it puts a different kind of a spin on it. There's a third kind of, uh, of suffering that I just want to paint for you, and I want to really stop and just pray for a moment. But we had two people that we're going to send our Mexico team off in just a couple of minutes. And um, two people had to pull out of the trip. Amanda Nazario um, is a college student who's gone to New Orleans with me and Mexico with me several times. Um, just an on-fire uh, young college girl for the Lord. And um, she Facebooked me and said, hey, i got some health issues. I don't think I can go to the trip. And I said, okay. And I know she's had some health issues in the past. And so I just wrote to her. I said, you know what? I hope, I hope that you suffer well, really. I, mean, I, really, I really pray that you will show off the value that, that Christ is to you in this. And, and know that I'm praying for you. Know that, know that I feel for you. Well, our, her, her mom was our translator, or is our translator still. Um, but, uh, but what I found out several days later was that actually she was in the hospital and they had discovered a, a tumor in her body. And, um, and long story short is that Wednesday they went in and did some surgery. And it turns out Amanda has cancer. And um, so Maria and Amanda are staying home. And literally two weeks ago, they were in our house planning and prepping for Mexico and planning on going to serve Christ this week. And plans change. Things change. And um, what's phenomenal is I've known Maria and Amanda now for over 10 years. And um, their, their demeanor is for the Lord. Their demeanor is, is, that, is that, that Christ is going to get them through this. Let me stop a moment just and pray for, for Amanda and Maria. God, we do lift up these two uh, dear sisters in Christ. I pray for Julio, Amanda's dad. And Father, we don't know all the reasons that things go on. I know that um, I've watched Amanda suffer well through previous illnesses, God. I've watched her um, joyfully endure things even for the sake of Christ. And we just lift her body up to you, her mind up to you, her heart and her will up to you, God, that you would um, help her to endure this, Father. Help her to show you off in her dark hour. God, I pray that you would help us as a body of believers for Valley Church that are already doing this, just to come around them and help them through the boredom of being in the hospital, help them through the frustration of, um, of unknown futures and all of that, God. And we do pray for Maria that she be a comfort to her daughter, Lord. And uh, God, we thank you that you direct our steps. And it's clear that um, while they were planning on being with us in Mexico, that you have something else in store for them. We just lift the Nazario family up to you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, let me give you a third encouragement, and then we're almost done. The final encouragement is that you're not alone. Verse 30 just talks about the idea that others are experiencing this same kind of conflict. Around the world today, people are suffering all kinds of things for the sake of Christ. 
one of the strategies that Satan would, would impose on us is to, to get us to think that we're alone in our battle. And that our difficulties somehow are unique to us and to our family. And so what it does is it starts to get us to question God. What's wrong with us, God? Why does everyone else have it so easy, but we have problems? What's going on? I love Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four, talking about the suffering servant. It says, For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. A change in geography is usually no solution to, to spiritual problems. Here's what I mean by that. No matter where you go in the world, there's suffering for the cause of Christ right now. No matter where you go. Uh, knowing that my fellow believers are sharing in this battle is an encouragement for me as I keep on going and as I press on. Right now, we're in a place and in a culture and in a government of um, at least tolerance for, for preaching Christ in public places. Even if people aren't so tolerant of it, legally we have a right to be there and can do those kinds of things. Church in America, we need to be praying for brothers and sisters who are, who are battling in other kinds of contexts and scenarios and let it be an encouragement to us. Job 36.15 says, But those who suffer, he delivers in their suffering. He speaks to them in their affliction. Job ought to know that. I want you to uh, turn one page, or maybe it's on the same page, to Philippians 2 now. Now we get to this part. And uh, in just a second, I'm going to have the, the ushers come forward, and we're going to, we're going to take communion uh, this morning, kind of in the context of the message, and then close up with a song. I want to just wrap up with looking at how, how did Jesus suffer? What did it look like for Christ to suffer? Philippians 2, verse 1 says this. Let me read it again. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Remember the context, by the way. It's been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Him. If any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now here's what I want to key in on, and you can write these down if you'd like, but these are some specific ways that Christ modeled suffering for us. It's not a complete list, but it's a pretty powerful little section of Scripture that shows us some things. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What are we talking about? The circumstances or our response to it? Our response to it, right? We have control over our attitude. We don't have control over our circumstances. So our attitude should be this way. Verse 6. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So there I would say this, releasing rights. One of the ways that you may suffer in America is not to have your hand chopped off because you were reading scripture in a public place. But one of the ways that you will suffer, either willingly or you won't do it because you choose not to, is to release rights that you have. It says that Jesus was... Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. He's an infinite being. And yet he says that equality with God, he decided not to let it be something to be clung to. Sounds an awful lot like those who willingly don't cling to this life, but willingly let it go, will find it. So releasing rights might be one kind of suffering that goes on. That can happen in school. That can happen in your family. That can happen on the job. Doing it for the sake of Christ. Verse 7, But made himself nothing. I would just term that as self-denial. 
Disciples, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, die, so that you will live. Self-denial is something that needs to be taught to us. And you need to beg God for grace to say, God, beat this into me, because it's hard to deny myself. Appetites, comforts, time, all that kind of stuff, ingrain that in me to be denying of self. Moving on, taking the very nature of a servant. I would just term that as self-effacing. Suffering degradation and shame. There's a lowliness to being a Christian in America today. That's a good thing for us. In a way, I hope that increases. Because it starts to really separate out those who are really following Christ and those who aren't. I've shared this with you before, but there were hundreds of churches within a couple mile radius of the District 9, uh, D- District 9 uh, ward in, uh, in um, Ninth Ward in um, New Orleans, pre-Katrina. Katrina comes through and literally wipes out the kind of riffraff religion marketplace that had been set up in the South. And all of a sudden, there were just a handful of churches. And you know what? They were the real deal. When the money dried up and left, all the charlatans that had set up shop left with it. But those who were there for the sake of the gospel stuck around. And those who were left said, man, Katrina was awesome in a lot of ways. You can't believe the way that Christ's light is being poured out and administered now. That it's not as confusing competing with all these people looking for a buck. Uh, Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. I'm sorry, being made in human likeness, that's meekness. It's not a lack of power, but it's willingly limiting your power. There are times as a Christian this goes hand in hand with releasing rights, doesn't it? Uh, Verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That's just humiliation. Humble sounds kind of spiritually and piety and all that. Humiliation is a totally different thing. None of us long to be humiliated. But if you are being humiliated for the sake of Christ, think about someone spitting in your face when you have all authority to wipe that person out, turn him into a little beetle, and just step on him if you wanted to. That is what it means to be humiliated. It says, and became obedient. I would just say here that we're on mission. When you're on mission, you will suffer. To go on, uh, to go take your, your week of vacation and donate it and give it and say, man, we want to we bless people in an orphanage in Mexico uh, rather than over here. Is it wrong to go on vacation? Of course not. I'm not saying that. But when you're on mission, you will suffer. It will cause suffering. You will think of things that you're denying yourself because you're on mission and obeying. To death, it goes on, even death on a cross. And that's the idea of excruciating pain. Jesus suffered excruciating pain. In fact, excruciate actually means from the cross. Physical pain, emotional pain, financial ruin for the sake of others. Jesus lived the model life of what it looks like to live for the next life and not for this life. You know what the result is? Look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Right now, I'd like the, uh, the uh, ushers to come down and pass the elements. I want you to take uh, a little piece of bread and a cup. Again, I told you this was Pastor Boot Camp today. Part of what communion is about is celebrating around the Lord's Supper. Supper. If you're a disciple of Jesus, I don't care if you're a member of Neighborhood Bible Church or not, if you're a disciple of Jesus, please partake and and participate with us in this. If you're not, kindly pass the plate and 
No one will look at you funny. This is for those who are seated at Christ's table, so to speak. As you're receiving the elements, we're going to do this a little bit differently this morning. And that is, we're going to take this without kind of a song in between or, or to kind of stop and think about where things are at. I want you to hold these elements and I want you to think about Christ's suffering. And I want you to think about the result of Christ's suffering. The result of Christ's suffering was glory to the Son and glory to God the Father. The result of your suffering, if mimicked, if mimicking Christ in your suffering, is exactly the same. Glory to the Son. Glory to God. And so that's our prayer, really, as we, um, as we even go to communion this morning. Is that, God, you would take the pains in my life, that you would maximize the pain in my life, that you would actually use it to sharpen me, use it to grow me, use it to hone me into your image. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Right now, together, um, let's take this little piece of bread here and remember what Jesus said. He broke a piece of bread off and he said, this is my body. He says, eat it and do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together right now. And far from being an accident, like you have spilled blood. He didn't spill his blood. He gave his blood. It wasn't like, whoops. It was a choice. And he set his face on mission to say, for the sake of others, I'm going to take the wrath, the rightful punishment for sin. And so he gave his blood. And when he took the cup of wine, he said he told his disciples to take this, drink of it, and do it in remembrance of me. Let's do it together right now. If you just bow your heads with me, band, make your way up. Jesus, you said on that night that as often as we eat and drink this, that we are proclaiming the Lord's death, which at that point was a future event. For us, it's the past. Until you return. And God, we have both a backward-looking mindset this morning that looks to the cross, looks to your suffering, looks to your life, as an example of how to suffer well. God, we repent and renounce, as Christians, a life that seeks to avoid suffering. We confess a lack of faith, a lack of belief in you, if that's the direction that we've been taking. God, for whatever is coming around the corner, and none of us can predict what's coming this week, this year, God, we want to hold on. We want to endure till the end. Prepare us, God, for whatever you have in store for us starting today. God, we thank you for trials. We need your grace in our life to regard them as pure joy. Give us eyes that would see, Lord, that this testing of our faith 
actually is producing endurance for us. It's producing righteousness in us. We thank you, Jesus, that by you, Holy Spirit, we're not alone this morning. We're indwelt by the Spirit of Christ here today. And in that, we take great confidence as we walk forward. In Jesus' name, amen.